have to not only worship God together, as we have done, and we appreciate always those who lead us in that, appreciate Jeff's thoughts and Tom's prayer and Don leading us in our singing, the job that they did in preparation and in guiding us. We appreciate our worship, our time of worship, but also certainly our time of fellowship as well. We invite you to stay around for a few moments that we can fellowship with you as we're done. Certainly, you're welcome to stay for lunch, and we hope that you'll plan to be back with us this afternoon. We'll miss our kids again as they'll be gone, but uh, thankful for those that take them, the opportunity they have to uh, fellowship with other uh, young people in the area at the teen singings each month. Uh, we hope that you can be back with us this afternoon. If you have your bulletin in front of you, you'll notice that we are going to have kind of a two-part lesson today. I mentioned to you before that uh, Charles had kind of suggested that to me. He liked that, and I always suggest I think he just likes for me to preach shorter in the morning is the plan. And maybe if I, instead of spending, you know, 45 minutes on one lesson, if I split up into two, maybe they'll be shorter. I don't think it works that way, but uh, we try. Uh, but you'll see that we're going to talk about some more of what we're going to talk about this morning, this afternoon. If you have your bulletin in front of you, I'm going to ask you to flip over to the other side and write down the date of December the 10th. December the 10th is the date that we have scheduled as of right now for our, uh, what last year we did a Christmas breakfast uh, instead of a Christmas dinner. Sometimes it's been a Friday night or Saturday night Christmas dinner, but we penciled in or going to go ahead and schedule December the 10th uh, for our Christmas breakfast. We do uh, a meal here together and then also uh, just enjoy some time of fun and, and skits and things like that. So if you can be a part of that, write that down and, and come be with us that morning. And there will be more announcements about that, but certainly we usually enjoy uh, a good time together and a good meal. And uh, so we want you to uh, be making a note of that on your, on your calendar. If you do have your bulletin in front of you and you, you see uh, that there is a bit of an outline again uh, this morning, we are nearing, uh, hopefully, uh, the end of our time without projectors and getting those up and running soon. Uh, but I wanted to give you a few notes uh, to kind of hopefully encourage you as we think about this difficult topic that we're going to talk about today. Uh, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, the last few Wednesday nights here in the auditorium, we have begun a really good and encouraging and rich study on the Holy Spirit. And within that study so far, there have come up several questions. One of those is the difficult question that we're going to look at this morning. It's a difficult topic, no doubt, but we are told in the Bible that we are to be like God. And if that is true, which it is, that we're supposed to be like God, then we need to know as much as we can about Him. Now, this topic is usually discussed using several words that you're familiar with. One of those is the idea of the Godhead. And if you have a certain uh, version of, of the scriptures in front of you, you'll see that word used a few times in the scripture, the Godhead. Another word that we sometimes use is the Trinity. Uh, you'll hear people talk about this idea of the Trinity. And then another word or set of words, which is our, our title that I chose for our discussion this morning is the idea of the triune nature of God. Now, you're probably aware that sometimes words that we use are not always in the Bible. And this is the concept with this word, Trinity. You won't find that word in Scripture. Of course, the word Bible is also not found in the Bible. The word omnipotent is not found in the Bible, but we know that those are words that we use, and just because the Bible doesn't use the word omnipotent does not mean that we don't know that God is omnipotent. To not read a word does not mean that the thing is not true or that it does not exist. So what about this idea of the Trinity or 
the triune nature of God or Trinity? Can we use that term? What is it discussing? Well, to begin, hopefully you understand that Trinity or triune simply it just means tri-unity or three in one. So what does the Bible say about the three in one nature of God? Well, if you have your outline in front of you, you will notice, first of all, that we believe in one God. We believe in one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the most important of prayers, this daily prayer that the Jews would pray, we sometimes call it the Shema or the Shema because of that first word, hear. That's the word Shema, or again, Shema in Hebrew, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We refer to it by that name because it was most important. The Jews would say it every day. Every day they would utter this phrase or this idea that the Lord God is one. Hear, listen, the Lord is one. We believe in one God. In fact, in the New Testament, James would say in James chapter 2 and verse 19, you believe that there is one God. And what does he say after that? Does he say, oh, you do, you do bad, or, or that's a bad thing. You do awful in that. He says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. That's a good thing to know and to say, because, and a good thing to believe, because God is one. In John chapter 17, in verse number 3, Jesus would say, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only or the one true God. And even Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse number 6, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, For even if there are so-called gods, he says, little g, we say usually little g gods, for even if there are so-called gods, yet for us there is one God, the Father. You see, Scripture is very clear that there is one God. We can say that plainly. And most Sundays, if I stood here and said that before you, most of you would at least silently certainly say, Amen, that's true, I believe that. But then when we come to this idea of the three-in-one nature of God, how do, we, how do we reconcile those things? How do we bring them together? Well, first of all, we notice that there is one God. But secondly, we believe God is three persons. God is three persons. We believe God is one, but also that God is three distinct persons. Even the world, of course, knows them well. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In fact, we see it in the Great Commission as Jesus says those words for the apostles and for us. Matthew 28 and verse 19. That we are to go and to teach and to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they are identified here, these three distinct persons. We believe that there are three persons for a few different reasons that we can notice here together. First of all, we say that because of the plural language of the Bible, because of the plural language. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 26, we read the words, Then God said, Let us, let us, plural, make man in our image, according to our likeness. I always remind you that I'm no Hebrew or Greek scholar, 
But we can know and we can, others can understand, help us understand or understand for us that in the original language, this is plural. This is showing us here in Genesis chapter 1, I think it's fascinating. I, I don't know if there's a better word to use or not, but I think it's fascinating here in Genesis 1 and verse 26 because what we get essentially is internal dialogue of the Godhead. Have you ever thought about that before? We say, well, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't understand God, but here we see a bit of internal dialogue. You know, we get that in movies, right, or television shows. You can hear a voiceover, and we get the idea that we're hearing someone in their own head. And we do that, right? We speak to ourselves and we say things in our, our head, but nobody else can hear those. But here we get a picture of sort of the internal dialogue of the Godhead saying, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. If you go forward just a page or so in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now, certainly for the sake of time this morning, we're not going to go through each passage in which this is used, but we'll suffice it to say that there is plural language used in the Bible to explain to us that while, yes, we believe that there is one God, we also believe that God is three distinct persons. The second thing that we would notice here when we think about three distinct persons, the reason we believe that is because these three distinct persons are all called God. In the Bible, they are all called God. Now, if you would allow me for just a moment to draw your attention, if you have a bulletin, down to the PM lesson, there is an image that's there that I'd like for you to look at but hold into your mind for this afternoon because we're going to discuss it in more detail then. But it's basically just a way for us to try to explain the Godhead and God being one but three distinct persons. As you see that, we see that they are all God. The Father is God. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 6, right? Paul would write to those Ephesian brethren and say that there is one God and Father. So the Father is called God. Secondly, we know from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that the Son is called God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Even going down to John 1 and verse 14, we see that the Word became flesh. So we know it's talking about Jesus. But if the Word was with God, and the Word was God... Then again, if you kind of have that image in your mind, the Father is God and the Son, Jesus, is God. So Jesus is God. But also, let's notice from Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, that the Spirit is called God. You may recall here, of course, that Ananias and Sapphira do a thing. They do a thing in selling some of their possessions. They do a bad thing in that they promote to those that they're giving the money, that they're giving everything that they had received for selling those possessions, when in reality they had kept some back. And Peter says to them in verse 3, or says to Ananias first, excuse me, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, notice, to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You see, Peter knows that it's not wrong to just 
sell this and to keep some, it's wrong to lie to the Holy Spirit about it. But then in verse 4, he continues on, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. He lied to the Holy Spirit. He lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. So we'll talk more about that image this afternoon, but you see already borne out in that, that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So yes, we believe there is one God, but we also believe that God is three persons. And let me give you a biblical picture. You know, we have a picture for us of this, and maybe we don't usually think of it when we make mention of this, but maybe from now on it will come to your mind. And if you have your Bible, would you turn to Matthew chapter 3? Matthew chapter 3. Because Matthew, by inspiration, of course, gives us a picture of the three distinct persons. Matthew chapter 3, it begins in verse 13, the passage that you know, the situation you know, but verses 16 and 17, we see specifically that when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Have you ever thought about it before? The Bible explains, as we have already said, that there are three distinct persons who are all called God. The Bible uses language to describe for us plurality. But here we see a picture of three distinct persons. God the Father is the one speaking. We know this because he addresses the Son. God the Father. God the Father addresses Jesus the Son. God the Son who is in the water here in this particular moment. And then, of course, we see God, the Spirit, descends in the form of a dove. Three distinct persons are involved in this situation. And we believe that God is three persons. One thing we would note here before we make our, our last point, and one thing that I just think helps us to consider this idea, is that God is, this should be the next note in your outline, essentially Essentially, E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-L-Y. Essentially triune. What do we mean when we say that? When we say this, we mean that it is impossible for God to exist otherwise than being a triune God. Well, preacher, why, why is that? Well, it's your favorite answer to those questions that you ask me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It just is he just essentially is triune now there's two things to consider on this point that it is just who he is number one sometimes that's the answer right just because that's just the way that it is appreciate tom praying so much for our young people up here and what he says about them and so many others but with our kids what what's the nature of the conversation right well why whatever why blank and we say, well, it's just because. Well, why blank? Well, why this? Well, why that? And they go on and on and on until eventually we just say, well, that's how God made it. Or that's just how God is. And sometimes that's the answer to the question. 
back in 2021, I think around July of 2021, I preached a sermon here about God's laws. And one of the points that we made during that sermon is that sometimes God's laws are arbitrary. It's simply that way because he said it's that way. We don't always handle that very well, just like our kids don't. And we just tell them, well, just because. But that is absolutely true as well. So the idea that God is essentially triune is important. But sometimes, in some ways, that's just because he is. That is of his nature. But I want to share with you a second thing that I heard uh, Hannah's brother, Caleb Colley, say one time. And if you ever heard Caleb preach, he does a, a wonderful job explaining things quite often. And, and I appreciate any time I can learn from him. But I, I was listening to him exp- try to explain this. And he pointed out this about love. Do you remember in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 that John says that God is love? We sing that, right, in a lot of our songs. God is love. But go a little bit further. Isn't it of the very nature of love to love something, right? There is an object. Example, examples would be I love blank. You know, I love my wife or I love a specific kind of food, but there's an object of my love. In John chapter 3 and verse 16 that the world knows so well, for God so loved the world. The object of his love there is the world. But before he created that world, who was the object of his love? Right? I know this this is a hard topic to wrap our mind around sometimes, but especially if we're going to get into eternity and the idea of God always existing. But bear with me for just a moment. There was a a point in time where God created the world. Now go backwards. (laughs) Go backwards and think about what was the object of God's love before the world that he loved. Well, in John chapter 17, in verse 24, Jesus gives us a little bit of an insight. Matthew record, excuse me, John recording for us, John 17, 24, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the words of Jesus Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. Notice, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Maybe the Trinity itself involves the community of love. Before the world began, which God loves the world, before it came into existence, Jesus says, you loved me. And so maybe we then understand this community of love that is shown in the triune nature of God. And it helps us to try to understand that he is essentially triune. He he just is. It is just of his nature to be a triune God. Let's notice finally, though, here, That with the triune nature of God, each of the three distinct persons blesses the Christian. Each one blesses the Christian in some way. And I'm going to ask you in your Bibles to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. You don't have to go anywhere else. You can turn to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1 and notice the beautiful nature of how each distinct person in the Godhead blesses the Christian. This is the only passage that's needed to see this, although we might also see it other places. Let's, of course, begin with God the Father. 
Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know who we're talking about. Who has blessed us with every or all spiritual blessings. So one way that the God the Father blesses us is with all spiritual blessings. Notice as well verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He predestined us. That's the way that he blesses us. He didn't predestine us in the way in which he just chose certain ones of you and not of others of you to be predestined. But he predestined the plan by which man may be saved. The type of people who may be saved. Not just black, not just white, not just American, but people who would be obedient to the plan of salvation, obedient to him. He blesses us, the God the Father, with all spiritual blessings, with predestined, predestined, predestined us. And then number three, he adopted us. Verse five, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God the Father has blessed us with these three things that we noticed just right here in Ephesians chapter 1. But we've talked about all three. Let's keep going. Jesus, God the Son, blesses us. Notice in verse 7, in Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption. He redeemed us. That's how God the Son blesses us. He redeemed us. Also in verse 7, he purchased our forgiveness with his blood. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We notice through verses 8 and 9 that he granted us access to heaven's wisdom. We have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. Having made known to us the mystery, if you were with us on Wednesday night, we talked about this, the mystery that seems like some big idea that we can't grasp, but no, Paul says you can know the mystery. Jesus granted us access to heaven's wisdom, to God's plan of salvation. And even down in verse number 11, we say that in him, we see that, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Jesus, God the Son, arranged our inheritance. That is how he blesses us. And praise be to him for doing that, for being willing. God the Father blesses us, God the Son blesses us, but yes, also, as we have said, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit blesses us. Look in verses 13 and 14. In him... Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. If you were with us on Wednesday night, we emphasize that. Hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were, notice, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of that purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit blesses us in that he guarantees all the blessings that have been mentioned so that we may trust in God to save us. The Holy Spirit revealed the word of God. No one can know that they are saved apart from the word of God. 
that is revealed by the Holy Spirit. We are thankful that God is one. We are thankful that God is also three distinct persons because we see in that that each of those three distinct persons blesses the Christian. How wonderful and beautiful it is to know that even just from this short passage in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 that we see the Godhead, the Trinity, the triune nature of God in the way that we can be blessed. Here's the final thought for you. We may not be able to fully comprehend everything about an infinite God. We may not be able to fully comprehend everything about an infinite God. I said it a moment ago. It hurts my brain. It hurts my head to try to think about something before this world and what's coming after. We pointed this out in our class on Wednesday night. But everything that we have in this world comes to an end, right? All the stuff that we have eventually quits working. Maybe we get rid of it. Our relationships end. If nothing else, they end in death, right? Maybe we're still here, but we've lost loved ones. Everything ends. Class ends. The sermon ends. The service ends. Everything ends. And we have trouble wrapping our mind around something that never is going to end. So let me say very plainly for you this morning that we may not be able to fully comprehend everything about an infinite God, but, but we can appreciate him. We can and we should appreciate him. Not being able to fully explain something is not the same as saying it is not true. Let me say that again. Not being able to fully explain something is not the same as saying it is not true. For example, we go through this, many of us, quite often with our doctors, right? Our medical doctors. We don't understand everything they say. We don't understand why we have to have all these tests run or exactly the way the machinery works or exactly what they see and how they read it. A doctor can explain an issue and tell me what is needed and me not fully understand what he is saying. And what he says is still true. I may not understand exactly every part of my internal organs and body and how they work and what this machinery is going to do to tell me something about it, but I can take what he is saying is true and know that it's needed for me to understand or to have something done. Not being able to fully explain an infinite God is not the same as saying that he is not true, that he is not real, that he is not one, as well as being three distinct persons. We may not be able to fully comprehend everything about an infinite God, but we can appreciate him and what he has done for us. I cannot explain it all, but I can understand the Bible. And as we're going to notice this afternoon, we need to appreciate that. And while it's difficult for us as humans to understand, it's wonderful when we think about the triune nature of God and how we are blessed by him. This morning as we pause right there, if you can be back with us this afternoon as we discuss a little bit more, as we pause right there and conclude the sermon and get ready to conclude our service, we extend heaven's invitation, the invitation of Jesus. He says, come, learn of me, take my yoke upon you for it is easy, my burden is light. We are to turn to him. We appreciate so much God loving the world, God sending his son, and God revealing himself 
and his plan of salvation to us by his spirit. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, why not? Why not obey the gospel? Why not participate with Jesus in that gospel, dying to self, being buried, immersed in water, have, having your sins washed away, rising again to walk in newness of life just as he rose from the grave. You can then be added to the church by the Lord. You can begin to learn more and appreciate more about the wonderful God that we serve. Maybe you're here and you've done that in times past, but you've wandered away. Maybe you've gotten bogged down with the things of the world. Maybe it's some type of sin in your life that you'd like to come forward in just a moment, make it known in a public way to one of our elders so that we can pray with you and for you. We are thankful that God loved us enough to send his only begotten son, to send his spirit to empower men so that they could record for us his words and we can know about him and words by which we may be saved. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved this morning but you're wandering away? Why not come back to him even now as we stand together and as we sing?